Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Amen. That was good. Thank you, young people. Some of those who are heading out this coming uh, tomorrow, I guess it is, and uh, heading out to the wilds for weeks. We'll be in prayer that God will just work in their hearts. It was a blessing to have them singing. Thanks to Jason Martin, who's done some uh, help with us this Sunday on our special music. Appreciate that so much as well. I know you have a Bible, uh, so take that Bible, please, and let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3. In just a few moments, we'll begin our reading there in verse 14, Revelation 3.14. Some commentators believe that these addresses to the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor, are somewhat of a timeline, and that the church of Laodicea is a picture or a mirror, a really predictive look at what the church is today, end-time church. We're not sure about that. We can't be dogmatic about that, but there's some great principles that we'll look at today from Revelation chapter 3. May I just say, I know announcements come later, but uh, I hope you can come back tonight for our patriotic picnic. It is a little bit of a different time. Six o'clock, we start with just some fun times, some games, informal games out there. Be praying about the weather. I think it's going to hold. We're going to weather the weather no matter the weather. But uh, come out and we'll have a great time together. Six o'clock, some just fun things for the family. I think there's a bounce house that we're going to try to inflate out there. There's volleyball. Other games are around the field and uh, even some frisbee golf. Enjoy that for about an hour. And then if you're bringing food, and I hope you are, uh, please bring enough for your family, a little bit more. Uh, We're going to provide the hamburgers and hot dogs, and we have a cook already assigned, a chef, a hamburger chef who's going to take care of all that for us. If you'll bring uh, uh, something to sit on too, it'd be great to have uh, some of your lawn chairs. That'd be great because right after we eat, we eat at seven o'clock. What time do we eat? Seven o'clock. Just see if you're out there. And so if you're bringing a dish, please don't come at 7.30. Bring that around 6.15, no, 6.30, especially just right before 7. That way we'll be able to serve it for everybody who comes. And then at 8 o'clock, short time of devotions right there at the pavilion. We're going to try to do all this right at the pavilion. It's always a great time. Dress kind of casually for the uh, the events tonight, a devotional time at 8, some skits that hopefully are, hopefully are fun and funny, and then uh, right after that, uh, we'll have some more time for group activities, family fun time, and then at 9 o'clock or a little bit thereafter, Stephen Pyle's going to shoot some fireworks. He, he and his crew are going to shoot some fireworks off out at the soccer field, so we want to kind of move the whole group over towards that way. And we'll have a great time together tonight, so if you can come for any or all of that, please do that. Make plans to come and bring the necessary things to make it a great time for all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time in the Word. I pray that you'll just bless uh, as we look into it. Give us principles to, to appreciate not only your great grace in our lives, but to be thankful for the freedoms we now have, the privileges we enjoy in America. Lord, thank you for what you've given us. And I pray today as we study the Word of, heart, Word of God, our hearts would be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I have had the privilege of, of growing up in a different country. I say a privilege. It was a great time. I learned a new language there, a different language, Portuguese and Brazil. But I've got to tell you that every time our missionary family came back from, uh, on furlough from Brazil, we loved the transition. 
One year furlough time, every four years, we'd come back. The first thing I'd do is I'd run to the airport um, little Coke machine, and I, I would put in my whatever it was back in the day, in the <laughs> 60s and 70s, and I would get a root beer because I hadn't had root beer for four years. And then we'd get in the, uh, the, the taxi or the, what I called it, a limousine that would take us to our next stop. And I'll tell you what, when we had been used to these little river roads around the Amazon, the little interior roads, and we got on those these nice cars that actually had a suspension in them and roads that were paved, we just, our eyes would pop over, open, and we'd look at each other as the regear boys, and we'd say, man, there's no place like America. <laughs> and it's true. We uh, have come to learn over the years that there's no country uh, like America. America uh, is like no other place on earth. And I've been to a few of those places growing up, and I believe that America has been giving, given a really a well-favored, high-favored position among the nations because of her foundation. For nearly 200 years now, uh, we, are being, we have been steered by the vision that was brought to our shores by those that came in the first place. And I'm thankful that those who came in the first place were not seeking uh, perhaps a, a great place to, uh, to build businesses. Now, there were some that were entrepreneurs, but, and there were a few kooks among the mix, but most of them who came originally, the first waves came seeking what? Freedom to worship God as the Bible expresses it without the onerous power of federated control of a state church. That's what they came for. And the first meeting, of course, of the pilgrims near Plymouth Rock was a prayer meeting. Amen. We need to go back to that wonderful founding principle that we are that our that our forebearers brought to uh, brought to the the shores of America when they came. That this place was special because they wanted a place that was really designated as a worship zone uh, where there's freedom to worship as God intended it. So after 66 days, tumultuous days in a ship called the Mayflower. At sea, they stopped first at Cape Cod and then on to Plymouth, and there they praised God for a place where they hoped and expected religious freedom. The spot there uh, marks the final resting place of the pilgrims of the Mayflower. In weariness and hunger and cold, fighting the wilderness, burying their dead in common graves that the Indians should not know how many had perished, there they laid the foundations of a state in which all men for countless ages, here it is, should have liberty to worship God in their own way according to the dictates of the word and the dictates of a free conscience. All you who pass by this rock, see this stone, should remember and dedicate yourselves anew to the resolution that you will not rest until this lofty ideal shall have been realized throughout the earth. That really is our first constitution. I love it that the first uh, really gathering of those first settlers was, or the pilgrims, was about really praising God for a place where they could, without the intrusion, the onerous, of a state church, worship God in the way God intended. I, I think all of our senators and congressmen ought to pass by that rock every week. Amen? Remember uh, from whence we came. Look at the rock. The original settlers of the colonies did not come, as I mentioned, to push drugs, sell crack cocaine. 
They were not running from a guilty conscience, evading taxes, seeking asylum for crimes committed across the waters. They came running from religious oppression and looking for a place for religious freedom. Such is the beginning of our country. How thankful I am to be an American. The first Americans were mainly churchmen, religious men, and women. They were Puritans, Quakers, Congregationalists, Methodists, Baptists, and others. They were separatists, really, from the Church of England, religious defectors who left the state church in England to worship God freely in America. I call it the second exodus, <laughs> really, as they left uh, Europe seeking, uh, of course, asylum, a place of freedom. Our first Independence Day was a prayer meeting. May we all remember that. And so they prayed. What a privilege it was. Those who survived that arduous journey across the seas, two months, the waters knelt first of all and praised God for a place to express their faith in God freely. The Bible says in Psalm 33 and verse 12, Blessed, favored, richly privileged is that nation whose God is the Lord. Such a place was and is America. The original settlers were so immersed in morality, interesting, and godly ethics that they were often poked fun of by poems such as this one. To Plymouth came I, where there did I spy a Puritan one, and sin he did shun. He was, hang he was hanging his cat on a Monday for killing a mouse on a Sunday. <laughs> that is the, really the high moral ethic of the Puritans and the pilgrims as they came. Sunday was important because it was God's day, sacred. And so was their, their lifestyle as they began to establish colonies and cities. Really, it was an orbit around God's word and the preaching and the church. And it was really central. Some folks who are historians have told us that in the early days of our country, the talk of the town was not, of course, the famous sports team that may be around, because there were none. But it was the message of the pastor on Sunday, and that became fodder for fellowship and discussion for the whole week. It was a town immersed in religion. Towns were centralized around the priority of worship as we began this country. What a blessing it is that America is a place that was founded on these types of principles. Was, was there diversion and lots of disparity? Sure there was. There's all kinds of folks that came, and not only just one type of tradition or denomination. Thomas Jefferson, as you know, was a deist. He, uh, he believed in the existence of God, but not too sold to the revelation of Scripture. There were Congregationalists who believed in the high sovereignty of the individual. It was a nation... Really, their, their, their sense of, of order and policy was a reaction to the oppressive rule of the state church of England. Quakers came early on, and they believed that ordained ministers were unnecessary. Salvation was really a personal journey of enlightenment. <clears throat> we know that's not true, biblically. They were the first to ordain women as preachers. Baptists came. We were there, and uh, we got our founding a church in Rhode Island, we were called Baptist Why. In fact, we're studying this theme on some, the distinctives of the Baptist. I hope you know why you are who you are. But they came and they reacted to infant baptism in the state church of England. And uh, 
And one of the founding fathers said this, christenings, <laughs> infant baptism, christenings do not make Christians. <laughs> I like that. We believe that a believer, only believers ought to be baptized. And by that, by that act of baptism by immersion, which the Greek word means, baptize means to immerse, to dip thoroughly, to dunk under. <laughs> they came, the Baptists came early on. And the history of America and established churches, <clears throat> of which we are now a part, our heritage is biblical and, and, and harkens back to these really founding fathers. And all of them came, a diverse people, wanting a place, freedom to worship God. And we cried out early on, we cried out for a place where we could worship. How far we have drifted from these foundational constitutions and foundational beliefs in our country. Pray for America. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. My question this morning is this. Are you indeed enjoying the privileges that come from being an American? You say, well, yes, I, I've got a good job, and I, I live in a street where, at least as far as I know, that's fairly safe, unless you watch the 6 o'clock news or the 7 o'clock news or the 8 o'clock news. I, I'm enjoying all the privileges of America, but do you know that our country now is leading the world in rape and murder, drug trade, abortion? Thank God for this reversal that now takes away this language that says abortion is a constitutional right of a woman. No longer, that's a 50-year that's a law that's been reversed, and that's, you could say amen to that. There are steps in the right direction, but as a rule, our, our country is not nearer to God than it was when it was founded. We have a lot to pray about, a lot to be thankful for, but a lot to pray about. Listen to the words of a, pro a professor by the name of Alexander Teisler. He writes about democracy in the ancient world. Here's what he says. The fact is, democracy cannot long persist as a permanent form of government. The average of the world's great civilizations, he says, has been 200 years. These nations are uh, progressed through the following sequence. He says, from bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to selfishness. From selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. From apathy to dependence. And from dependence back into bondage. Where are we in America? I believe America is at the eve of bondage again. Today she has really tasted of abundancy, privilege after privilege after privilege have been ours. I hope you know you're a privileged people. No place like America. Thanks greatly to the shoulders, the strong shoulders of those who've gone before. We're closing in now on a disease called complacency that leads to apathy. It's not full-blown yet, but it's certainly in its later stages. A spirit of complacency that's affected America's culture, I think, to a great degree. Even as the culture goes, so goes the church. I can see it. I grew up, I'm old enough now. I'm going to admit that. I'm old, but I'm old enough to remember when church was not an option for most folks and even those who were not even born again. There was a church ethic in America. We're quickly losing that. And it tends to be 
that even within our church here at Bible Baptist, there's a little bit of a, a waning of that spirit of loyalty to prayer, to God, to worship. Complacency leads to apathy. Apathy then what? To dependence and bondage again. How close before America again goes into bondage? Favor spurned is folly earned. Here's a picture of the crying eagle. I wonder, as we celebrate our freedoms, if today we ought not pray. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those who are in authority over us. That God would give us from our churches and from our, from our own uh, Christian communities and churches. If God would give us leaders that would stand up for what's right. Thank God for those in our government that are doing such a thing. But pray for America. Revelation chapter 3, again, a picture perhaps of where we are in uh, the progress, in that, that cycle of dependency, and it begins with our response to the privileges. Are you there? Revelation chapter 3, here's a church that I think mirrors the final church perhaps before the coming back of the Lord, the church at Laodicea. Let me begin reading in verse 14, to the angel of the church, the Laodiceans, of course, John writing from the Isle of Patmos to the churches there in Asia Minor. These were literal, actual churches that he's writing to. Spiritual principles, of course, that apply to every generation. These things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Christ speaking here, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, excuse me, cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich, increased with goods, I'm privileged, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white, raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, purity that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see you're spiritually blind. As many as I love, what a great reminder, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Can you hear him? He's at your heart's door today, my friend. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. And I will suffer fellowship with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Favor spurned becomes folly earned. Certainly in the case of Laodicea, if I could just remind you a little bit about this church. I... I it's, it's a rich church. I don't know how many pastors, uh, I'm, I know quite a few, would probably enjoy at least handling the budget at the church of Laodicea. Laodicea had more money than they knew what to do with. Wouldn't most pastors love that difficulty? I know we've been uh, looking at kind of a summer slowdown in giving, and it's typical for summertime. A lot of folks moving through the church and taking vacations. We understand that. And a church budget's a funny animal. It kind of takes its waves, its ups and downs, and summer's always a slump. But here's a church that had plenty of excess. I remember a church that I was a, 
a pastor, an associate pastor at in Wichita, Kansas. There was a benefactor who died and left that church thousands. I won't give you the total, but just almost doubled or tripled their annual uh, budget in, in, a, in a gift. So the church began to live off the interest of that great gift. And we noticed that the giving from the members decreased. They had more money than they knew what to do with. And the pastor always had a wonderful smile on his face come congregational meetings. <laughs> we never had to fight about uh, what are we gonna, where are we going to find the money for that air conditioner or whatever. It was there. It was just accessible. Here's a church that had a lot of money. They were well-to-do. No problem with them. And I, and I, I think about the situation in terms of America. We have been well-blessed, haven't we, economically with so many good things. And well, we find out that this church is too much money. And that's a, a problem I guess everybody would like to have, I think, but uh, not always a good problem. The church, uh, of course, has, has got a lots of, it says verse 17, I'm rich, I'm increased in goods, I have need of nothing. <laughs> How sad the church doesn't know they need God. Laodicea was destined to be the capital of ancient Phrygia. It had a great medical school. It was famous for its eye salve, an ointment for the eyes. It had a great location. It was in, in the con, uh, confluence or the congruence of three major roads in that area by the Lycus River, Fertile Valley, right next to a major trade route or two. It laid between Ephesus and Syria. The town was known for its banking and money exchange. It was so wealthy that when a massive earthquake leveled the city, they didn't ask Rome for any money at all. The millionaires in this town at Laodicea simply said, we're going to handle it. We're going to rebuild the town. We don't need you, Rome. That's how much money was floating in the pockets there, the bank accounts of folks in Laodicea. They rebuilt the town at their own expense. In fact, a mint was located within the city. Laodicea had a, a lot of money. They minted their own coins. This past week, I, in some, the, the change that somebody gave me somewhere, it's becoming scarce, isn't it, real coins in, a, in America, but somebody gave me some change for a transaction, and in that pile of pennies and quarters and nickels and dimes, I noticed a nickel that I didn't recognize, and I picked it out of the... I thought it was maybe... Uh, something from Mexico, as I looked at it. Uh, is that a peso? What is that? It was a little nickel, a buffalo nickel. How many of you know what that is? Raise your hand. Everybody over 50, yeah, so I figured. Uh, I hadn't seen one for a long time. This one was minted in 1934. They go back to the early 1900s. So I went quickly because I didn't recognize it. I thought, this is my lucky day. And I went to the internet, which you're supposed to do, right? And I looked it up. And one of the extreme examples said, that may be worth $60,000. So I started kicking my heels and running around the house. This is my day. I feel like a Laodicean. And then I looked, looked it up with all the details. And it's worth 67 cents. <laughs> I guess it's worth more than five cents, but... It can be worth a lot. They had their own mint. They had uh, all kinds of wealth in this town. And uh, they had a spring, a hot spring. Well, actually imported. This is how the Lord, this is why the Lord uses this illustration. They imported their water. 
They didn't have a good water supply. It's one thing they were lacking. So they re- imported their, uh, really the hot water. They had both running water, hot and cold. They imported the hot water from Hier- Hierapolis uh, and then the cold water from another city uh, up the way. And so uh, when the water came and made that journey from Hierapolis, it got there and it became, by the time it got to Laodicea, even though it was a great idea at the onset, it was pretty tepid, lukewarm. How many of you really enjoy a lukewarm cup of coffee? That's what I thought. I like my coffee boiling hot. Well, it was unfit to drink this water that they imported, but it was a good idea. But it was a picture that spoke to the hearts. That, and, and God is speaking to their spiritual poverty, although they're surrounded with all sorts of privilege. Economically, medically, educationally. So notice God's appraisal. It's found, as I've read it before, already in verses 14 and 15. He says, I, I, know, I know your works. I, I'm the truth, the amen. I bear witness of your works. I am the source, the originator of every creative work. I own you. I own you by creation. I own you by recreation, by new birth. I am your Lord. I am the one that sustained you. Never forget that, Americans. It is God, truly, that favors anyone. I'm the Lord of all your living things. I voiced you into being. I brought you into existence from nothing to abundance. I've been watching you. America, I've been watching you, Laodicea. I've been uh, the one who is your witness. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Imagine if God was the one who came up in in your court case (laughs) as a witness. He who knows all things, the end from the beginning, the secret things of the heart. I know you. God does. I know thy works. And here's his appraisal. You are neither hot nor cold. Spiritually, you are lukewarm, tepid. You've settled for. You're only mildly interested in the God who gives to you everything. You're spurning the favor, the privilege that I have surrounded you like like Israel. I've done everything, Isaiah 5. I've done everything I could for my vineyard. And yet, there is this sense of of blah in your voice when you come to worship. And your desire for me has grown so lukewarm. Your passion is gone in your prayers if you pray at all. Your heart is missing in worship. Although your bank accounts are super abundant, your health cared for by the system, the best doctors in town, but you're lukewarm. That's my appraisal of you. I'm the one who's the true and faithful witness. I see your heart. I know how empty it is. I know what you bring to the table in in terms of worship. You're saying I'm rich for 17, increased with goods. You have need of nothing, not even God. I know your works. You've abused your privileges. I know how You've risen to power, you've won battles, you've extended your power from sea to shining sea, you've paved your parking lots, you've built your military, your economy. 
I know your subdivisions are flourishing with big houses. I've been watching the whole process, but your works, ergon from ergonomics, are empty. Oh, you're busy. Your churches are active, exciting, and innovative. Everywhere you look, there's a program. Uh, you've got the best computers and technology in the world. Here a special, there a VBS program. Everywhere you look, camp, outreach for everything and everyone. Everywhere a special promotion, Laodicea. You're a church at work. Work, work everywhere. And I know your works. God, you must be proud of us because we're so busy and we're so tired. So Lord, either we need a new fad, a new program, because we're not full inside, we're not satisfied with you. Lord, we're empty and detached and far away. And so Lord, what is the latest fashion religiously that we need to, because we're ready, we're, we're ready to be busy with more stuff. God's appraisal is, I know your works. I know your works. I get it. You're busy. I get it. You want to grow. I get it. You, you want to be accepted and you want to be well esteemed in the religious community. I get that. And you're busy about that. I know. But my estimation, my appraisal of you is found in verse 16. I, I, I just think your heart is so far from God. You're empty. And if I may use the terminology, I'd just like to spit you out of my mouth. You're disgustingly distasteful to me. Wow. This isn't John speaking. He's just voicing the words of God. And he's saying, Lord, sees you, Laodiceans, and all your privileges as far from him, and your worship is sickening to him. Well, that's his appraisal. It is that our worship doesn't satisfy, really, God, because our thirst for God is not very hot or cold. <laughs> he said, I wish that you were cold, a million miles away, perhaps in unbelief. Or I wish that you were on fire for me again. What a privilege it is to live in this great country. What a privilege it is to enjoy all the benefits that we have. What a privilege it is. I, I mean, just all the privileges of life. I remember uh, as we came back from the mission field and got my first real job as a, really in junior high and got my first paycheck. What a privilege to hold a paycheck. What a privilege to find that sweet girl who would marry me, that would finally marry me, actually love me enough to marry me. And then the kids came, and I remember holding the hands of that little Whitney uh, for the first time and looking into her eyes. I remember the privilege that was of raising children, and now grandchildren who you can love on and send home or leave <laughs> There's the joy of grandchildren, sweet, sweet kids. There's the joy, just the common grace of enjoying Georgia and the crepe myrtles. Do you, do you enjoy things like that, God's privileges and 
I remember my first taste of Indiana sweet corn. We didn't have that in, the, in Brazil. I didn't know corn could be so sweet. God has painted a picture of His grace all around us from the, uh, the whistling wind and the beautiful trees and the golden wheat fields of Kansas. Have you ever been through Kansas in June and saw all that golden wheat fields just waving in the wind? And God's grace to all of these things in all of these things, we see His hand, and, and yet at no time has God ever said to any of this created work except us, you're my child, you're my son, you're a joint heir, but God has given us that privilege, and yet we thumb our nose at the God who has adopted us, brought us in to that relay. I know how busy you are for me, but I know your heart. You no longer care about the relationship that is primary in your life. What a privilege spurned. God's appraisal is you're lukewarm. You're sickening to me. Then God's admonition, verse 18. I counsel, I advise thee to buy of me. Quit going to the false places of commerce. Come to the storehouse of heaven. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be really rich spiritually, and white, holy, godly raiment. You might be adorned in righteousness, that you be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear. And then your eyes, that can only see affluence and richness of this world, anoint your eyes. With my medicating ISAV, that you might really see what life is all about. That in the short time you have, it's not about collecting things and money and popularity and station. It is about serving me. That's my admonition to you. So go ahead. He says, I want you to come. Laodiceans, bring a cup with you, and let's go down to this water conduit, this canal, this channel that brings water from this nearby town, and take your cup and put it under there and taste it again. That is the taste of your spiritual walk with me, and it is less than what it needs to be. I wonder if we put a thermometer in your spiritual life somehow, and we read that, and that's for all of us, God's admonition to all of us, what would it be that would register? Would you be on fire for God, more loyal than you've ever been, more sacrificial, more committed, or would it be flat, tasteless, lukewarm? God is calling you. God is calling me. He says there's a a final thing he wants us to see here, and that's God's appeal to us. God's appeal. We see that at the end of this wonderful text. After the counsel, the admonition, come to me. There's real gold. There's real riches and a, a raiment that's truly white. You see, they were famous in Laodicea for a black shining garment. If you had these, this type of raiment and clothing and uh, thread. You could make clothing that would distinguish you as a resident of some esteem. 
to wear that black clothing from Laodicea means you've arrived and the Lord is saying, I want you to come and dress yourself in the white robes that I offer, the heavenly garment that's pure and clean. As many as I love, verse 19, we see God's final appeal in the text. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent every time We approach God's throne, we are at once overwhelmed with where we need to be and where God is and where we aren't. And so don't take it personally. God's coming to us and saying, if I love you, I'm going to tell you the real deal. I'm not going to leave you alone in your sin. I'm going to confront you and let you know that you're not where you ought to be. And there's still time to repent. Those that I love, I admonish. Those that I love, I I cause to bring to repentance. I want you back. Laodicea, don't live your life satisfied with the trinkets and treasures around you. Come to me. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. Isn't that good of God? He hasn't given up on you. Though you have been prone to wonder to leave the God you love, he's still there. He's pursuing your heart, and it's the story of his love for you. He's knocking at the door of your heart. I stand at the door. If any man, woman, boy or girl, hear my voice and open the door, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I will come into him, and and I will fellowship with him. I will sup with him, and he with me. What a privilege that is. What an appeal. He stands, he knocks. God is accessible to us. That's the really the appeal. The greatest privilege in our lives can be neglected or thwarted by this spirit of negligence. Behold, I stand at the door. Can you hear him? In the din of everything that's grasping for your attention, can you hear him this morning? Because he's knocking. That knock can be silenced by your own appetites for things that don't matter. But God is knocking at your heart's door. He wants you back. He wants you to turn, to repent of the things you're trusting in that don't matter and return to the fountain of true joy. And he's knocking. Where are you? How come it's taking you so long to come to the door? What is it that's satisfying your soul? Robin and I were in our living room, our area there, where we just kind of relax, and and we both, the TV was on, but it wasn't loud, and both of us, after a while, looked at each other and said, is someone knocking at the door? We are at the age where we can't hear anymore. God is knocking. The greatest tragedy of your life would to be live your life not to hear anymore the knocking. You see, there are other things, aren't they? Aren't there that grasp for our attention? And that little smartphone, it's so smart. Nathan was telling me about all this artificial intelligence. He said, Dad, there's coming a day when Humans will be eclipsed. We're not necessary anymore. I mean, the computer's going to take over. 
Every once in a while at the end of a, a little deal where you write an email, right? You respond with an email. The first question is, are you a robot? I always pinch myself. And I put, no, I'm not. God is asking you a question, dear church. Are you a robot? I'm a church, Wednesday night, even, bless God, that's extra points, isn't it? And I'm doing all the works that I need to be doing. I'm having my devotions, I'm checking the boxes, everybody thinks I'm dressed up and ready and I'm spiritual, but God says, I know your hearts and you're a robot. Your heart is no longer in it. He wants us to come to a place where we buy from Him true, spiritual, satisfying, living water. No one satisfies our hearts like God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He will not force us. God will not force us. Although He is accessible, He's knocking at the heart's door, and He's available, He does not act. He does not act like a bully. He doesn't charge in or force you to love Him. He doesn't. He asks you to come, to open the door. God does not force His way, and He's come. He's come to your street, to your house, to your home, to your heart. The perfect gentleman. But He's appealing. He stands and He knocks. That's what the verse says. Behold, I stand at the door. I don't crash it down. And I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens it, if anyone, there's human responsibility here. If any man hears my voice, have you heard it? Don't spurn it. Open the door. I will come in to him. I will. Not I might. Draw near to God. Oh, but there's so many exciting things on my phone. I mean, have you ever seen this and this? And here's a guy that does 15 flips in the air before he lands on his feet, and then, and then he, whatever. Lord, have, have you seen this? I don't think God ever in heaven is impressed with what man can do. And God's response is, have you ever seen me? Have you ever seen what I can do? Get something for your eyes. Come to me. Listen to my knocking. Open the door and I will come into you and I will sup with you to have God sit down at the table with us and to be the focus of our speech like it was at so many Puritan tables in the early days. To be speaking about Jesus. I will come in and I will sup away with all the sports scores, away with all the politics, away with everything lesser than God. And let me just fellowship with you. What a great passage this is. Christ the gentleman knocks. He's, a, he's appealing to us, asking for our communion with God. All my life long, I had panted for a drink, 
from some cool spring that I hoped or knew that would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. There he is knocking. You come to the door with your tepid, lukewarm water, cup of coffee. He knocks it out of your hand and says, Here, hallelujah, you have found me, (laughs) who my soul so long had sought. You're here without Christ this morning. You've been looking for something that's satisfying. He's the Prince of Peace. Oh, there is a stranger standing at your door. He gently knocks as he has knocked before. Welcome him. He is the Prince of Peace. He'll be your friend. He is the Lord's divine. The Lord's appraisal is you're poor, you're wretched, you're blind spiritually. His admonition is, I counsel thee to buy from me gold. Spiritual treasure is appeal as I stand at your door and I knock. What will you do with the Savior who's waiting? Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 7, all the house of Israel are impudent, hard-hearted, literally All of Israel, my people, have a heart that's hard and a forehead that's stubborn and hard. They will not listen to me. May God give us the insight to listen to God. Be careful. Be very careful. God's availability does not ensure His intimacy. The Lord is nigh to all of them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. Privileges everywhere. I'm thankful for America, but I'm so thankful that God offers to us the greatest riches of all. Will you come to Him? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.